0: Everybody and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Hello. It's October. It's raining here in the Pacific Northwest and I couldn't be happier. It's my favorite time of the year. My co-host is up in his cat perch along the window, fast asleep and I am 100% enjoying all the space this new desk has to offer. And speaking of space, it's amazing how much space you can create by just moving some furniture. That's something that's happened recently at my place. There's so much space I could easily choreograph a chair dance number, practice some roller skating, or Stevie Nicks twirl to my heart's content, and not worry about hitting anything. It's so open. And well, the recap runs a little bit longer today than usual. So we're going to go ahead and start now. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled The Talking Machine and debuted on January 14th, 1976. The episode was written by Harold Swanton and directed by Victor French. For a total change of pace, we begin with an interior shot, and it's a close-up, of a set of hands turning a crankshaft. A slow pan-out reveals a large cylinder and then a flaring horn slash the speakers. Following the reveal, we get a slow 360 degree shot of this device. The Olsons are enthralled, but also they just don't care. What is it for? Uh, The salesman quickly responds, it plays music. The Olsons inform him they have a piano. Hoping not to lose the sale, the salesman says, "Uh, it records your own voice. Once again, the Olsons state, what for? Oh, so you can hear your own voice back. Speaking up, Harry Olson states, I'm quite capable of hearing my own voice, Mr. Godfrey. She continues, and my voice tells me no on this machine. And, well, since Harry Olson said it, yes, that is the final word. When Harriet is out of the room, Mr. Godfrey admits. His wagon broke down, and he's fixing it down at the livery. And he hopes to sell this machine to pay for the services. At this time, Mr. Olson is handed the detachable speakers the flaring horn and helps Mr. Godfrey outside. And once out there on the deck, Mr. Godfrey, trying everything he can, uh, this machine would be great. You could record your wife's voice, which is immediately followed by one... Harriet Olson yelling from the inside for Nell's to get back inside, and to Mr. Olson confessing that turning the machine off so as not to hear his wife's voice would be plenty enough. From there in the distance, we hear the bell ringing. School is out, and there are hordes of legs coming down the stairs. Then there's Nellie Olson's, and when she makes it off those steps. She stops and oops, oh drats. Her words, not mine. Nellie has dropped her school books. Not only that, we hear thunder in the distance. From there, we cut to the top of the stairs and enter a new face who also happens to be sporting a blue shirt with brown suspenders, and it's a nice combo. In the distance, leaving school, Mary is stopped by her sister. Mary knows what's up. Laura is pulling the same old trick, stopping to tie her shoe so she can wait for that potential bow. And what is his name? Thank you, Miss Beetle. His name is Jason. And Miss Beetle can't help but congratulate him on all the work he's already shown in class. Not only that, but we find out Jason conducts experiments. And Miss Beetle is thrilled maybe you could do a special report one day on your experiments and one there's a groan from me because that's just extra work and well it sounds like jason also agrees but not only that he seems to be in a hurry heading down the stairs he encounters nelly who is desperately trying to persuade him to stop by the mercantile she's offering up penny sourballs licorice and eventually sarsaparilla Jason, however, seems pretty focused. Sorry, in a hurry. Gotta go. Maybe tomorrow. And he runs off. Following him is Laura, who tells her sister, tell Ma I'm gonna be late. I failed to mention before heading off, Laura does make a sour face to Nellie Olsen. And trying her best to keep up, Laura passes by the feed and seed and eventually into the fields where we hear more thunder. Continuing to run, which can be described as aimlessly at this point, Laura trips and face plants into the field. But that doesn't stop her. She gets up, she looks around, and eventually notices Jason coming out from behind some bushes with a kite. And picking herself up, dusting herself off, and trying all over again, she approaches Jason and mentions, Oh, I was just passing by. And I couldn't help but notice that I saw you out here the other day as well. And looking at Laura, Jason replies, it's too late. What? Jason is a little upset because the storm, it's moving on. Not understanding why Jason needs a storm to fly a kite. She immediately volunteers to be, I guess for a lack of better words, a lab assistant. To help Jason get the kite up in the air regardless. I'm a good runner. And well, Jason doesn't seem completely thrown off to the idea and allows Laura to help out. And seconds later, they get that kite up in the air. And I have to mention, this is one of our usual Victor French signature shots. A zoom out from an overhead perspective. This time, it's Laura celebrating. And dancing in circles. With the kite up, Laura runs over to meet with Jason, and continuing her lab assisting, she is handed the kite string as Jason pulls a key from his pocket. And we immediately cut to the Ingalls, where Mary is coming home. She tells Charles that she got an A on her math test, as well as the news that Laura is going to be a little late. Oh. Did she get a bad grade? Mary assures him she didn't. She's in love with a scientist. And back out in the field, Jason has decided to call it a day. These clouds are moving on, and they're not really any big kind of clouds. Laura mentions the whole, if at first you don't succeed, get yourself up and try again, try again. Jason mentions how Benjamin Franklin never gave up, and that's how he got to be president. And there's a slight pause for me on that. But thankfully, in the next scene, at the Ingalls dinner table, this Benjamin Franklin presidency is also new information to the family members. In fact, Mary's the first one to call it out with her own facts. And Laura's defending this information. And well, big sister Mary doesn't hold back. Is it true because Jason said so? And dear listeners, Mary doesn't deliver an eye roll, but she does give a fantastic eye cross and applaud to that. And finally, Laura states, yeah, he was a president of a stove company. Yes. Now I get to eye roll. And these two sisters continue to sass one another until Charles calls out the next time they have applesauce, there should be less cinnamon involved. He follows it up by saying, it's okay to admit you like a boy, you know, especially one who wants to follow in the footsteps of Benjamin Franklin. This one sounds like a good prospect. Charles gets up and says he needs to head to the barn, and Laura immediately wants to tag along, only if her chores are done. And when asked about those chores, Laura states, uh, I think so. Laura is quickly reminded it's Mary's turn to do the dishes. And once in the barn, we have some father-daughter time. And I have to say, the next few words out of Laura's mouth, uh, they're kind of crushing. Looking at her dad, Laura asks, you know what the problem is about me? I'm not pretty enough. And again, as I already stated, all remarks aside, that's horrible to hear anyone say. And looking over at his half pint, he reassures her that she is pretty. As well as pretty isn't everything. You know, having a good heart. Concluding Charles states, and any boy who has sense knows what's important. And Laura, picking up on that cue, oh, he has sense. He's a man of science. I don't know anything about science. Charles assures her that if she wants to know, all she has to do is study it. And with a slight scoff, Laura asks, who's ever heard of a lady scientist? And assuring his daughter anything is possible, Charles states, someday it could happen he also mentions how he's heard of a lady doctor in Mankato. At this time, Charles announces he has completed mending the wheel he was working on and needs to head to town to help repair a wagon. And left by herself, Laura simply states, still would help if I was prettier. We jump cut from rags to riches, brunette to blonde. We're at the Olsons. Nice transition we are given, of course, an immediate example of what Charles was mentioning in the previous scene. You know, about having a good heart and being pretty isn't always what matters. Nellie Olson proclaims, I'm a slight prettier than Laura Ingalls. She's doing laundry with Harriet. Of course, the discussion is about Jason and how Nellie can win his feelings slash affection. Harriet mentions how you have to go about it the right way. And Nellie proclaims, I did. She mentions the candy, you know, the bribery. Harriet needs to know, but what is his soft spot? And Nellie Olsen is clueless. Well, what was pause? Looking down with a smile on her face, Harriet says, me, of course. But what is Jason fond of? It doesn't take Nellie Olson long to respond. Science. He likes trains, steamboats, transatlantic cables. And then it dawns on Harriet Olsen what she can do. And she gets up and yells for Mr. Olson. From there, we cut to the wagon of Hannibal Godfrey, proprietor of Godfrey's traveling Chautauqua. He is also a lecturer, author, and a homeopathic physician. Laura, Mary, and him should get together and trade some notes. And of course, we know from earlier that Mr. Godfrey's wagon was on the mend. And who is there underneath it? It's Charles, of course. And well, uh, he's just finished. And of course, we shouldn't be surprised that Charles is the one fixing the wagon here. But with the wagon completed, Charles informs Mr. Godfrey the cost will be $6.85. It's $4 for labor. The rest is in materials. And us as the audience are well aware of Mr. Godfrey's predicament. And unfortunately, Charles is now just about to learn about it. And that's when Mr. Godfrey pulls out the bolt-by-bolt replica of Thomas Edison's talking machine. The phonograph. And of course, Charles is a bit perplexed. What is it? Mr. Godfrey, of course, gives Charles a demo of the machine's capabilities. He records the phrase, I am a talking machine invented by Thomas Edison, and I belong to Charles Ingalls of Walnut Grove. And upon playback, Charles expresses, I've never seen anything like it. That's because it was invented last year. Charles mentions, yeah, that is pretty cool, but it's not going to pay my bills. And cue Mr. Olson. Yep, he's come in to purchase that talking machine. And Mr. Godfrey does a quick explanation of the circumstances and, well, Regardless, a deal is struck and everyone gets what they want. Mr. Godfrey's wagon is fixed and he can head on out. Charles has paid off his bills and then some. And Mr. Olson has that talking machine for Nellie. From there, we cut to more technological advances. It's actually a replica of the donkey engine that Jason has on display at Miss Beetle's desk. Rosemary is attending school today and we just get edits of Laura and Nellie Olsen and their eyes they're making towards Jason. Jason is mentioning how one day wagons will have steam engines and not horses. Willie Olsen immediately yells out, we will not. Jason continues on with the possibility of flight also thanks to steam. Jason sounds like a little steampunk. There's a snicker from Willie Olson, but Miss Beadle mentions how there was once a famous man named Leonardo da Vinci who predicted the same thing. So what have we learned? Willie Olson raises his hand that a man named Leonardo does something is as dumb as Jason. Oh, Willie, something tells me Nellie Olson might have a few choice words to share with Willie at home later and not only that, Willie is sent to go stand in the corner. The scene is disrupted by loud thunder overhead. Jason asks to be excused, and Miss Beadle agrees to that, mentioning that she will be expecting a report tomorrow. Laura also heads out after Jason. I'm his lab assistant. They're both excused, and while not having it, Nellie Olson runs out in pursuit. Only to announce that she has a talking machine of her very own. And well, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, this storm is raging. Their clothes are already soaked all the way through, so that's why it seems a little unusual to Laura when Jason instructs her to open up and stand under the umbrella. Ella. Ella. But the most important thing that needed to stay dry was the ribbon Jason pulls out from his pocket. It's okay if the string is wet. It's what Benjamin Franklin said to do. And according to Jason, this storm is a golly whopper. And taking shelter under the umbrella, Jason explains the entire experiment. And to Laura, the idea of electric fire, ooh, I don't know if I like that. Jason concludes it shouldn't be long now, and the reason we know? It's all about the key. And like a fool, stepping out from under that umbrella, in the middle of a thunder and lightning storm, Laura heads out and touches that key. Of course, just at the exact same time, the kite is struck by lightning, and, well, Laura is thrown off of her feet backwards shocked and I'm not surprised and Jason proclaims we did it it's a hundred percent pure electricity just like Benjamin Franklin and sitting there Laura nods her head yeah it sure felt like a hundred percent something Jason continues to celebrate thanks Laura for her help praises Benjamin Franklin and the two of them are dancing in circles We finally did it! We made electricity! As the storm continues, we get another Victor French overhead slow zoom out, and I just have to say, this scene plays on a little too long. Laura's voice does get a little irritating after a while. But cut to stacked wood, and a slightly damp Charles comes to collect. Inside, everyone is working to get half-pint warm. Charles is laughing while Caroline makes the remark, you and your friend need a new hobby. Laura is very quick to point out. It was a scientific experiment. It was fun. I felt electricity. Mary is coming down from the loft with a pair of droopy pantaloons. To Laura's annoyance, Laura continues to share the outcome of the entire experiment. However, she does fail to mention about getting thrown off of her feet because of the electricity. Maybe I'll be a lady scientist. She then proclaims how wonderful it feels. Really wonderful. And the scene closes with a sneeze from Laura. Cut to up in the loft and Laura is once again reading in bed. It's not history this time. It's the wonders of science. Mary mentions how Laura will most likely be kept home because of her sniffles tomorrow from school. Laura protests, I'm not sick. It's just an inflammation of the nasal membranes. And well, we can easily say Mary is stupefied at this. Laura comes back, you know, it's from a germ. And once again, Mary lets it be known. Oh man, I want to see a germ. Laura then starts to describe a germ. It's long and green. It has spots and legs. Mary, whatever. You play in the rain, you get sniffles. It's just the way it is. It should also be noted that Mary at this time is working on her 100 brush strokes. The two have a little more sisterly banter before Charles tells them to turn out the lights. We cut to Nellie Olson doing some needlework out on the deck of the mercantile, Harriet Olsen pops her head out and tells Nellie to get inside. It's chilly and she doesn't want Nellie getting the sniffles. No, I'm fine. Let me be. Moments later, we hear Jason's voice explaining hot air balloons. Him and Laura are walking past the mercantile when all of a sudden we hear Nellie Olson's voice. But it's not Nellie Olson's voice. It's a recording. And Jason is immediately awestruck where did you get that nelly relays that she tried to tell him the other day when they ran out after that thunderstorm she's trying to pull a guilt trip and it totally works jason is apologetic and wants to investigate the machine closer up nelly agrees to let him do so but only inside the house away from children my mom is worried about her fine china Picking up that device, Jason heads inside, Nellie Olson following behind as she brushes her hair and smiles, looking at Laura. And we cut to Charles and some more wood in the barn. He's hammering away, and Laura is busy explaining what has transpired. Charles pops in. Oh, I guess that explains Mr. Olson's interest in that machine. Laura wishes that they would have held on to that machine, but Charles states that paying the bills is more important. Laura bemoans how Nellie Olson is lucky because she can get anything she wants. But Charles puts that idea to rest. Well, what about friends? Nellie Olson can't buy any real friends, let alone any real boyfriends either. He concludes. How would you feel knowing Jason is only interested in you because of a talking machine? It finally dawns on Laura. Why should I be afraid of a dumb, old talking machine? What's funny about this remark is that one, this machine is not dumb, and two, it's not old either. It just made me chuckle a little bit. I had to share. Laura comes up with a plan to invite Jason over for dinner. If I'm not afraid of a machine, Nellie Olson shouldn't be afraid of Ma's dumplings. We cut to Jason and Laura doing another experiment. This one involving the donkey engine. Jason shares again the idea of a steamship that is out of water and can land anywhere. Laura assures him it's a great idea. And that's when Jason mentions how much he has appreciated Laura's help with his experiments so far. And Laura, with a big smile and dreamy eyes, then invites Jason over for some of Ma's dumplings. And we actually cut immediately to that dumpling dinner. Jason is explaining how he has looked at Nellie Olsen's talking machine and kind of breaks it down. It's a transfer of vibrating sounds onto tinfoil, and it makes bumps. And in reverse, it repeats it back to you. He mentions how he recited The Boy Who Stood on the Burning Deck. With a mouthful of gumdrops laura you got gumdrops jason continues how how harriet Olson sang the old opry charles then makes the remark oh did she break the pickle crock i have no idea what that means but it causes everyone to lol jason continues it's a really cool machine you could play it anywhere and mary serving out some shade even on steam engine airplanes. Jason compliments the food and Laura continues. You know the dumplings floating? It's displaced. It's weight and gravity. That's what Archimedes said. Carolyn coming in for the correction. Archimedes? That's what I said. Still trying to impress, Laura chugs her water and says that there is no fire without oxygen. And she turns out the lights. Inquiring, Charles wants to know, is that it? He is assured that it is, and in the process of trying to relight that lamp, ugh, I've just displaced the gravy with my elbow. Speaking of dinners, we cut over to the Olsons. Once again, it's a nice spread, and Nellie Olson is complaining. He's such a mean, nasty old boy. I wonder why he even wears shoes. We find out in this scene, Jason is actually from Massachusetts. And according to Harriet Olsen, what's that have to do with anything? Nellie Olson continues to complain about Jason heading over to Laura's for that dumpling dinner. Mr. Olson proclaims, well, he didn't have to go if he didn't want to. And well, Nellie has some choice words about that. You're as mean as he is. And well, that actually gets a response from Mr. Olson. He points his fork at Nellie. Now see here, young lady. Harriet Olson tries to interject, but uh, Mr. Olson puts a stop to that as well. He concludes that maybe Jason appreciated the invite, or maybe he was just hungry, or maybe he likes the Ingalls. They're a very nice family. And in three, two, one, Nellie breaks down and flees the table. And I don't know about any of you, but I feel as though we just had dessert. Harriet Olson says, Nels, I'm surprised at you. And Mr Olsen, so am I. Now pass the biscuits. Those those buttermilk biscuits. And up in her room, Nellie Olson is pulling a Linda Blair on her bed, or even a Regina George. She looks at that recording machine and is about ready to smash it until she comes up with an idea. PS The music here is a great fit. We cut to another day and Laura is carrying a basket of eggs to the mercantile. Two dozen. With putting part of it on credit and also picking up some white sugar and cream of tartar. But Mr. Olson also hands out a single gumdrop. He's such a nice man. Meanwhile, Nellie Olson is coming down the stairs with a very fake, Hi! Laura is not having it. Nellie Olson then invites Laura to come upstairs, just to talk. Oh, and have another gumdrop. Mr. Olsen is standing quiet and looking slightly concerned behind the counter. Laura inquires if Nellie is feeling okay. And sadly, against her better judgment, Laura does grab a few more of gumdrops and heads upstairs to Nellie's room. And up in Nellie's room, Laura is, well, she's shocked. It's a very beautiful room. And secretly, I want Nellie Olson to say, I know, it used to be my parents' room, but I made them switch it with me. Encouraging her to sit down on the bed, Nellie sates, We're good friends. She then brings out a new doll that she got from France. Oh, you like Jason, right? And, well, Laura? I don't know why, but she spills the tea. And not just a little, all of it. And Nellie Olson is no Barbara Walters or Oprah Winfrey or even Diane Sawyer, so I do not know how Laura felt comfortable even answering these questions. However, the camera slowly pans over behind a screen, and there is Willie Olson muffling his mouth and recording Laura's sentiments. From there, we cut to late night in the loft. Laura's getting ready for bed, and that's when she says how Ma says to turn the other cheek when getting to know some people. That's when Mary states, well, remember what Pa says, you can turn the other cheek, but watch out. Laura believes the friendship she has now with Nellie Olson is genuine and Mary, I'll believe it when I see it. Once again, Charles from downstairs yells up to the girls to head to bed. And it's in these final moments before sleep, we're informed that Nellie Olson is bringing her talking machine for show and tell tomorrow. Ospit. And we cut to that school day, and Jason is explaining the recording machine. Any questions? Sticking up his hand, Willie Olsen needs to know, can he make it fly for us? (laughs) This kid, he's immediately sent to the corner once again. And now for a demonstration. Nellie Olsen starts to turn that crank, and oh man, the spit has hit the fan. Sitting in her seat, Laura is hearing herself. All of her thoughts and feelings in regards to Jason are now being played for the entire classroom. At the side, Miss Beetle demands Nellie Olson to stop. But Nellie doesn't. I can't. The lever's stuck as she's continuing to turn the crank. Well, that doesn't stop Miss Beetle, who slightly pushes Nellie Olson to the side and Laura gets up and leaves. P.S. Rosemary is working some puffy sleeves. She's giving off some Swedish milkmaid vibes. And P.S.S. Jason is just simply sitting there in silence, staring at his desk as Laura goes running out into the fields. And out in that field, Laura stops and settles for a cry. And wow, coincidentally, Laura looks up, And there's that red ribbon with that key still attached. Mary comes running up from behind to comfort her sister. And Laura, just embarrassed, begs her sister to leave her alone. She is humiliated. And FYI, Mary gets some wobbly chin as she's watching Laura. It is definitely a very sisterly moment. And we cut to Charles breaking soil. And Mary comes across him and confesses what happened to Laura with the talking machine, Laura's feelings, and Nellie Olsen's deception. Unhitching the team and instructing Mary to take the horses back, Charles heads out to find Halfpint. And Laura, well, she's under a tree with that ribbon and key in hand. And that's where Charles finds her. And although Laura has already expressed feelings towards Johnny Johnson and Henry Henderson, this time around, Laura is humiliated. But why, Charles wants to know. Those are your feelings, and it's not bad to have those. But Laura's just assuming the worse. He's going to think I'm a silly goose egg, and he'll never speak to me again. And from there, she expresses how angry she is with Nellie Olson. She said she wouldn't tell anyone. She said she was my friend. And all the time... Laura throws herself into Charles' arms, and he reassures her it's okay. And Laura just can't help but wonder out loud, I don't know what I'm going to do. But Charles reminds her it's okay. You don't have to do anything. You didn't do anything wrong. You're not supposed to hide away the feelings you have about people. Everyone wants to know that somebody loves them or needs them or cares about them. And Charles states, well, if he liked you before, think of how much he will like you now, now that he knows your own feelings. It's not a bad thing telling people how you really feel. And although Laura agrees with all of this, she says, well, the action was so hurtful. The deceit. And sadly, that's when Laura proclaims, I don't want to do science no more. Inventing things just hurts people. Pretty much telling her to reconsider that idea, Charles states, it's not the invention or inventor. It's the use of the information afterwards. Now, I'll see you back home. Laura heads back home, and I have to say, Charles looks a little PO'd. And we cut to Charles walking up to the mercantile and the music is slightly foreboding. I love it. And upon entering the mercantile, Charles demands to speak to Mr. Olson. In fact, he speaks over Harriet Olson. And he mentions the school day, the talking machine, and Laura's feelings about a certain boy that were recorded without her permission. Harriet Olson, oh, it's no biggie. And Mr. Olson finally putting all the pieces together. Was this about a boy named Jason? Charles mentions he usually wants the girls to take care of their own issues themselves, but in this case, this was a little much. And Mr. Olson 100% agrees, and he calls Nellie Olson down the stairs, as well as to bring down the talking machine. To the side, Harriet Olson says, Nels, I do think. And Mr. Olson, well, don't. And well, let's give Mr. Olson a round of applause. When she's downstairs, Mr. Olson asks, Did you play your talking machine at school? And well, before we even get an answer, Nellie Olson throws Willie under the bus and said, He recorded it. Only because Nellie told me to. They are both immediately sent to their room. Mister Olson apologizes and promises it will never happen again. And after Charles leaves the mercantile, and Mister Olson sets to task with some corporal punishment, Harry Olson protests, and I'm slightly conflicted. But at the same time, I so want something to happen to Nellie Olson. From there, we cut to late night up in the loft. Mary is reassuring her sister that everything is going to be all right, and Laura is not entirely buying it. We also find out that Mary is actually quite popular with the boys, and Laura, not so much. However, she is assured Jason still likes her and that she should try to get some sleep, and she holds on to that key as she closes her eyes. Life was easier before liking boys. And there's a hallelujah from me on that. It's another day and Mary and Laura are heading to school. And they see Jason at the foot of the stairs in the distance, who then immediately picks up a book and pretends to read. A silent Nellie and Willie Olson also head into school. And when all the children get inside, Laura is greeted with Jason Hart's Laura written on the blackboard. But that does not stop Laura. She is persistent. She takes her seat despite all the laughter in the classroom. Miss Beetle and Jason are the last ones to enter. And well, Miss Beetle brings it. She has had quite enough of all of this and is going to find out who wrote that on the board. She even calls out Nellie Olson haven't you done enough? And Nellie Olson admits, uh, it wasn't me. I, I I, didn't do that one. That's when Jason in the back of the room stands up and confesses to writing it because it is true. And well, it's like the clouds breaking away on a sunny day. Looking around the room, Miss Beetle tells everyone to get back to business and Laura in her seat, looks back, and there's a smile exchanged between her and Jason. From there, we cut to an overhead shot of Jason and Laura in the woods, holding hands, and we get a voiceover, which tells us Laura's not entirely sure she wants to be a scientist, but according to Laura, it's a fine thing to know he loved me. And it's not the sweetheart's tree, but This episode closes on the initials J-A and L-I carved into a tree. And the one question I just have to ask, what does the A stand for? Before we get on to reviewing and rating this episode, I would just like to begin with... That's my post-it stack. Sometimes it's just easier to write things down instead of typing them. Mr. Hannibal Godfrey tells us that his replica of Thomas Edison's phonograph was a year old. Looking up basic information, phonograph was created in 1877, so it's 1878. However, it didn't get a patent until February 1878, which makes me wonder, if this device would have been available to replicate to the public. And now, I would like to take you back to Season 1, Episode Survival, where U.S. Marshal Jim Anders tells us, 16 years after the South Dakota Indian Wars, and I now have to officially admit I want to live in the Prairieverse, because time is not a thing. According to both of these historical mentions, the year is 1878 as well as 1879. How long was 1878? That survival blizzard was last spring, and since then, Grace Snyder finally gets invited to the spring dance by Mr. Edwards, and a few episodes later, they get married on Thanksgiving. And Reverend Alton's birthday? Was five weeks later. So let's just get to reviewing and rating this episode. All right, I think we can say it now. Nellie Olson is such a bee. And no, not the queen bee. Prior to this, it was all about the name calls and the taunting. But this time around, yeah, Nellie Olson went a little too far. I mean, I will admit, mostly what we've seen Nellie Olson do is just be a brat and use words. But this time, although she used words, they weren't her own. So here's a nice example of going above and beyond being a bee. And as much as I want to say the word, this is a family show. So I would say here, this is where we get that line drawn in the sand between Laura and Nelly because Laura she's not going to fall for this again well i say that but you know i really don't know but fingers crossed Laura will second guess every time she has to confide with Nelly and although this episode has been littered with mean girl references harriet olson is not the cool mom Also, it seems as though this is our first episode where we talk about modern technology. Modern technology in the time of the prairie, which again, we don't know when it really is. Prior to this, all we've seen is a train and a microscope. And that microscope was back in Mankato. So as yet another story about Laura following her heart, her young heart in regards to bows and giving us some technology on the prairie, there were some cute moments. And speaking of cute moments, let's talk about this week's little house moment. I don't know about you, but I've been there once, maybe twice, maybe a few more than that. But that moment, that expression on Laura's face when she hears her own voice, that moment of embarrassment, that humiliation. Yeah, I'm raising my hand up because I've been there too. And well, of course, gonna grow from that circumstance. So that big time humiliation, well, that first time big time humiliation, it's simply put, just one of those learning experiences. And with that, let's get to finally rating this episode the inclusion of science was you know a great catalyst for the rest of the story uh, but again these kids are just coming out of nowhere but seriously here's where we see Nellie Olson really take it over the top with being a bee and Laura learns that lesson that uh, friends can be two-faced but not Willie Willie's just a brat regardless and Well, Laura's heart seems rather fleeting. This is the third boy that Laura has liked since the series has begun. And well, I do have to admit each one has been an upgrade from the previous one, but it's a story we've kind of already heard before. So it's a nice exchange to have heard Laura talk about her self-esteem in regards to her looks, because that's actually something we haven't heard Laura discuss before. But at the end of the day, I'm going to give this episode, The Talking Machine, a rating of four and a quarter bonnets. And well, those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode. You can reach me at the Instagram and Gmail account from Plum Creek with love If you're listening to that Spotify playlist, I hope you're enjoying it. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a Little House on the Prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. And until next time, take care.